Hey, welcome to night school. I found out yesterday that a, a guy that I knew passed away. hadn't been in touch with him in many years. Never met him face to face, but knew him through creative circles. Uh, we were fans of each other's work and had talked about collaborating many years ago. And I thought about that because initially, you know, of course, you end up making it about you. You deal with news of someone's death, and it didn't affect me emotionally because I wasn't particularly close to this guy. Uh, I appreciated what he was, uh, but uh, you know, I did. My mind did go to, oh, well, I guess that collaboration will never happen now. But I also put it off for years. You know, he had suggested it probably a decade ago, and I just never followed up. He brought it up one more time, and we got back in touch, and. I just never followed up again. I don't know why, even though it was it sounded like a great idea to me. Uh, it just, uh, I don't know, but thinking about it now, I'm like, well, that'll never happen. But then I was like, I'm glad, you know, I'm, I'm actually glad that'll never happen. Because this was a guy who, you know, had a reputation for being uncompromising and maybe more importantly, uncompromised. And I don't know what I could have added to what he did that wouldn't have been unnecessary. I don't I feel like adding whatever I did to what he did would have potentially added something unnecessary to it and I also feel like it could have taken something away that might have been important. And it's not that I put this guy on a pedestal at all. Like I, I was definitely a fan of his work. I, but I wouldn't have called myself a super fan necessarily. Uh and uh, there was just a mutual appreciation, I would say. And I was surprised by that. I mean, I was, again, not to make it about me, but I, I remember being very surprised and even honored that he was a fan of what I did, and I didn't expect it. Uh, and uh, we had very... Because, you know, in some ways, you know, we were involved in the same, you know, small world, but in other ways, uh, this guy, you know, he focused on <laughs> entirely different interests and subject matter than even back then than I really uh, spent time focusing on you know he was a very subversive artist I would say you know I don't want to get too specific but this guy he was a very his approach his interests in life were very subversive and that's an understatement he's the sort of guy who you know his creativity for sure was devoted to highlighting the filthiest and darkest aspects of human existence and he stayed con very consistent in that. You know, his entire body of work spanning decades, you know, it was very consistent. And, uh, you know, in this, it's e easy in this world, like especially in creativity. It's something, though, that you experience no matter who you are, where you are, what you're paying attention to. But it's easy to feel like an imposter. I mean, it's something that even happens when you start a new job. You're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And even though it's like, it's my first day on the job, I can't help but feel like I'm faking it. I can't help but feel like an imposter. And it certainly feels that way as a creative person. Uh, and, you know, but that sort of imposter syndrome, when I talk about it, uh, usually I'm referring to, you know, the feeling inside of like, I'm, I'm not what people think I am, or I'm not what I should be, or I'm somehow an imposter. And it's this like self-reflective thing. But we also project that imposter syndrome out onto everyone. 
and we're, we see that in others. And it's often somebody who feels like an imposter inside who points their finger at other people and calls them imposters too. It's sort of like the poser. When someone's a poser, they're always the one calling everyone else a poser. You know, it's sort of like that idea. I mean, it's exactly that. It's, it's, it's exactly that, just a different word. But it's exactly the same idea. And while I didn't feel like an imposter as far as, you know, what I was doing creatively or anything, you know, I, I did feel like I was, you know, having to maintain a certain balance. So when you are in contact with a guy like this, the, the one who passed away, you just kind of have the feeling that you're dealing with something more pure than yourself, um, more focused at the very least, more pure, more focused. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. And that, and it's interesting to think about when it's somebody who really did deal with some of the, the filthiest aspects of this life in his work, to think of that person as pure. But a certain purity can be achieved in that, a, a certain singularity of focus. And I think this guy did have variety. That's the thing. Is like, Even though he might be more known for a certain approach, some other stuff came through the cracks that always interested me. Something a little more mysterious. Uh, something a little more uh, psychological that, you know, did make me think. So it's not that I don't think this guy was one-dimensional. And he's crossed my mind a lot over the years. As I've, you know, become less involved in those circles, less involved in, you know, certain forms of creativity and more so like the communities built around those. This is a guy who always stayed in my mind. And not even his work, he just as a person. He just stayed in my mind. Like he had an outline around him. Uh, you know, my friend Miles, he'll use the example of when you were a kid watching cartoons and you would see the outline of the boulder that's going to fall. You know, because in cartoons, the background is was painted or, you know, pre-rendered and like the cells of the characters and things that were going to be interacted with were placed on top of the background. So if they had something that was from the background that was actually going to move, like I remember seeing it, first noticing it, I was watching a cartoon and there were some characters walking through a school and there was a locker door. And you could see before they even got to that locker door, all the other locker doors were just, you know, the part of the background. But the locker door that was going to open, you could just see it had a slightly different tone to it. The color, the outline was different. But in my lifetime, I've noticed, you know, people are the exact same way. Some people just have a different outline. They're rendered slightly differently. And uh, they stand out because of that. Whether they're going to actually have an impact on your life or not isn't important. You may not even know them. You may never be close to them, but they have a certain outline. And this guy absolutely fits that. Uh, this guy was, you know, you, know, some, you just kind of knew something was different. And as a kid, before you really know how cartoons are made or how they're composed, you know, um, what they're composed of... Like, I didn't know that, you know, oh, you have to put a, a different cell over this pre-made background in order for something to move or be interacted with. I didn't know that. I just knew something is different about that locker, that boulder. Uh, and sure enough, that's the one they open. That's the one that's going to fall. And this guy had that quality. And it's interesting when someone does have that quality because it is rare. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's made me think. I don't, I don't want to go too much into this uh, 
I don't, I don't want to go too deep into analyzing this guy because I think he is what he what he is or was. And uh, I feel like I, in talking about him, I will inevitably make it about me and my interaction with him, which wasn't that extensive. But, you know, there was, you know, as I said, there was, you know, some some form of friendship there. Uh, but it's weird, too, to sort of eulogize a guy like that because, you know, I saw that he didn't want a funeral and uh, it was a guy who just was not participating in the things that life tells you to participate in or that society tells you to participate in. And he focused on everything that anybody out there will tell you that you shouldn't focus on, including me. Uh, you know, he, you know, focusing on all of the most negative and destructive aspects of life while not necessarily being a destructive person. I mean, I don't know this guy, what he did on a day-to-day basis, but he didn't strike me as somebody who was terribly destructive. I mean, he was obviously a creative person. He obviously channeled this all into a large body of creative work that he maintained and continually worked on and, uh, but he did focus on all these things, you know, it's like you think about Buddhism, like direct your mind, direct your mind toward the, the things that, you know, I don't know, you know, this idea of controlling what enters your periphery and, uh, you know, it's like if you watch the news, that's going to, you know, color your brain. And this is a guy who, you know, went deeper than the news, like the news isn't enough, you know, all this bad news isn't enough. So this, this guy went even deeper and uh, created a, a literal and, you know, a uh, literal and metaphysical collage out of all of these things that are essentially poison to the human psyche in a lot of ways. And and when someone like that passes away, it's like, do you want to give that person, and they didn't ask for a funeral, they stayed, this guy stayed consistent, you know, up till the end, it's like, do you want to give that person like some, do you want to honor that person in the same way that society and human beings typically honor somebody? Is that what that person would have wanted? Uh, But I, I think when someone is a creative person, it's like acknowledging what they did, acknowledging their body of work, having a funeral of fans and peers, a disconnected funeral of fans and peers is appropriate. But this whole thing has made me think about, you know, in being uncompromising, in being that consistent over a long span of time, you know, someone like that, yeah, they will make you feel like an imposter. And not me at this point, but especially when you're younger, when you're feeling things out, they will make you feel like you're somehow not it. Like you're not completely it. Like, you're always catching up to something. That's, I think, just the best way I can put it. It's like you've set a mark, and it's not that you necessarily feel like you're lying or you're fake or you're not this or that. It's almost like you've set this goal for yourself, and you're always catching up to that goal. You're always kind of trying to make up for something. And, uh, and a big reason for that is because we see how other people are, or at least what we see of certain people gives us the impression that we ourselves are always kind of struggling to catch up. And what I've realized over time is that it's like you might set that mark for yourself. You might set some sort of ideal. Uh, it is like the Buddhist idea of the most distant shore. 
uh, or this idea of the Christ-like perfection, and you think, I've got to be that. And so you're always going to be struggling to catch up to that. And you never actually get there. You never actually achieve that perfection. You never actually reach the most distant shore. But through that struggle, you do improve. You do get better. Uh, And you do become less of an imposter, for sure. But your goal also shifts, because uh, you learn more. You, you understand like what perfection is and isn't, or what purity is or isn't. Uh, and so your mark changes as well. So it's not that you're always trying to catch up to the same original mark that you set. It's that that mark is shifting too. And so you're always trying to catch up, but you're, just, you're not just on a treadmill. You are moving along. But when I see someone like this guy who passed away, you know, it's interesting to think of that as an ideal, considering that everything this guy focused on, a lot of it was less the less than ideal aspects of this human world. Uh, but I, I do feel like there is this parallel that comes, you know, from it's it's kind of like you know it's it's like God and Satan. I mean, to get really cliche about it, you know, it's it's like this idea of like those things both represent an ideal, and uh, it's it's like how both ends of the spectrum, you know, both extremes on a spectrum are actually closer together than what's in the middle. It's almost like that idea, and what might be perfection and virtue, you know, from one point of view. You know, being good, focusing on the positive, you know, highlighting the beautiful, Uh, you know, that might be pure and perfect on one end, but in a different light, you know, focusing on the, the dreary and the miserable and the destruction and filth of this world, in a strange way, that is also, you know, a form of perfection and a form of purity, even. And I'm someone who, you know, I feel like I was always in between that. You know, my interests in, you know, music and creativity and art, I feel like I've always been more in the middle of those things where, you know, traditional beauty is important to me, but I've also had an interest in the darker aspects of life, you know, my entire life. Ever since I was a little kid, I was like, huh, you know, I know I'm not supposed to be watching this documentary, but how could I not? How could I not want to know about this? Uh, So I I feel like I've always kind of been a little bit in the middle. And then in recent years, I was like, you know, I've spent enough time focusing on the dark. I I felt like I was always in the middle, but a little more, like my gaze was cast more down toward the abyss. And oftentimes I got pulled more in that direction. And in recent years, I've, I have really tried to direct my mind and been like, you know, I want to focus on things that are more ascendant to get really pretentious about it. That's the word I'll use, you know. Uh, follow your bliss? No. Ascendance. Uh, but yeah, I have decided to focus more on the light and what I would consider the ascendant aspects of existence. But in doing that, I haven't rejected the other side. And I don't even see it as another side. You know, I, I, it blends in perfectly into the good. The bad blends perfectly into the good. I don't feel like there is that hard of a line. Um, and that doesn't mean there isn't absolute good or absolute bad, but it's like I, I do see that there's a gradient between them. 
And I think that's why people get, you know, pulled one way or the other so easily. People who think they're doing good so often do bad, and people who think they're doing bad will find themselves doing good. And it's because there is a gradient between those things. Even though there is a fixed good and a fixed bad, it doesn't mean there isn't a gray area in between those. Um, good and evil and everything in between. Uh, but, but as someone who's, who's become more interested in, in, I'd say, you know, the lighter aspects of existence, you know, I, I, I don't really feel comfortable putting it that way, but it's just, it's just something to say. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a part of me that does feel like, you know, hmm, is changing the right thing to do? I don't really question that now, but when I was younger, I was absolutely afraid to change because I thought that change meant compromise. Change meant that you were never truly in it. Change meant that you were never truly committed to something. Uh, it, it meant that you, oh, you never were really invested to begin with, and that's why you ended up changing. That's why you ended up, your interests ended up shifting. And of course, you know, getting older, you learn, like, that's not true at all. And sometimes you, you can be so passionate about something that you have to change. Sometimes the thing that you lose interest in is not because you actually lost passion for it. It's because you were almost so passionate about it that it burned you out. It spun you around and it burned you out. So uh, in that way, it's not that you compromised. It's not that you actually lost anything or that you were an imposter. It's not that you were faking it. It's simply that, you know, life spun you out and burned you, burned you down. And you just had to move on. And uh, you, you decided to control... Or it could just... Yeah, it could just be that you decided to take more control over you know, where you were headed or what was entering into your field of vision. Uh, but I still, you know, as someone who has learned to appreciate change, and when I see that in other people, I value it, and I, I, you know, it's something that I encourage in myself. When I see people who never changed, I, I still value that too. It's like I've talked about with drinking, like anything, where it's like it's very easy when you quit something or you lose interest in something to then turn around and be like, I hate it. I hate it. Or you break up with somebody who you were in love with and, and because you broke up and you're just like, oh, they suck. They just suck. You know, it's something we have a tendency to do where it's like if we're no longer participating in something or if we are no longer thinking a certain way, if we've had to move on in a certain way, it's very easy to look back and think like, oh, it all sucked. You have to reject it. And uh, I don't feel that way at all when I see people who have stayed consistent and uncompromising. I almost have a greater appreciation for it, even if it isn't something that I would want for myself. And, I, and this guy who passed away, that's that's what he was. And I think that's one of the reasons he crossed my mind over the years is because he did represent some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of distant shore. And there's a lot of people who saw this guy that way, which has been clear in the way that he's been eulogized uh, in in the circles that he participated in. And, you know, that funeral of your fans and peers is oftentimes the the realest one, you know. And people, they might try to attach themselves to somebody. They might try to make it about them, which is, you know, my fear and even talking about it. Because uh, you see that in real life. I mean, I think we've all been to funerals where the the person who's crying the loudest in the room 
is the person who knew the the victim or the not necessarily the victim but the deceased the least you know the person who's crying the loudest at the funeral knew the the deceased the least or they had a uh, had the most conflicted relationship with them they weren't the best friend they weren't the mother you know they weren't they weren't the person with the they weren't the person who you think should be grieving uh, you know the the loudest and a lot of people get upset about that too that's something that happens at funerals that's what happens when someone dies is there's always someone who does make it about them who does make a big show about it and a lot of people are like what the fuck is that person doing and it, and it's easy to like channel your anger and grief at that person when that happens it's easy to be like I'm really sad about this death, so here's something for me to vent about. Here's something for me to get mad about. And it's okay to be mad at it. But I think you also have to look at that sort of person who, who is grieving as some sort of show, as some sort of inappropriate show. You also have to look at that and be like, well, they have problems. They have something going on, and it might not be about the deceased, and it sucks that they're using a tragedy to make a show of it. But you also have to say, you know, something's going on with them. And in the same way that you have sympathy or empathy uh, toward the the people who, towards, say, like the family of the deceased, you should also be able to show sympathy or empathy towards someone who's so twisted up that they need to hijack a tragedy. Now that that's happening with this guy, I mean, like, I, you know, I just went on a thing there, but uh, I don't think that's happening with this guy. But I, I have that fear when someone passes away that I kind of knew or I was kind of friends with, but I wasn't best friends with. There's a part of me that hesitates to say anything. Uh, and I wouldn't in, unless it was, you know, a very unique person. And in this case, I do feel like we, we are talking about a very unique person. And those who know the guy I'm talking about, you know, they will absolutely, I, I think, follow my train of thought. And those who listen to this show who have no, no fucking idea, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just take this as generally as you can. I'm just talking about people and life here, really. Uh, but there is that part of me to go back to the idea of compromise where like in changing, you know, myself over the years, it's like I do look back and I, I still see the value in people who don't change or who don't compromise. Uh, no matter who they are, even if it destroys them, because sometimes it does. Sometimes holding on is what destroys you. But sometimes people just stay the same, and they're not holding holding on. They're not clinging. It just is who they are, and they have no reason to change. There's no prompt. There's nothing. They They were what they were, and they are what they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, and so often, you know, when you change, you know, how can you even be sure that you are changing? I mean, that's the one thing. It's very easy to, I feel like I had some example of this. I mean, it goes back to the rearranging the universe thing again, the Alan Watts idea that I riff on like a broken record where it's like so often too, though, like our attempts at change are just a rearrangement of what's already there. And we convince ourselves that something's truly different, but it really it becomes this game of rearrangement and replacement. And that's something that I try to stay very conscious of, where it's like, oh, you know, am I really different? Oh, I still I'm still noticing this need to be to to like throw out some like harsh, cynical comment. I still have this need to, you know, make some joke at the expense of someone or something. So how how 
how do I know I've truly changed? Well, obviously it's a feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, but it, it, it does become this game of rearrangement and there are only, only so many combinations that you can make before you either have to just burn it all down or just accept that there are foundations to who you are that you aren't going to shake. That just dragging one to the other side of the room, dragging something to, oh, I'm going to drag these thoughts that always come to me over to the other side of the room, and that's going to somehow make them different. I'm going to color this one way. Well, you're still stuck with the same set of colors. You're still set with the same palette. Maybe, hopefully, hopefully not, but uh, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can discover that new color that nobody knows. Uh, maybe you really can do that, but somehow I don't think so. And I mean, it's it's the same as the, it's like the same sort of thing you see in fiction, where it's like we think of fiction as this thing that's not real at all. It's like it's like a book. It's a fantasy book, so it's not real at all. And it's like, meanwhile, it's about elves, and it's like they're us with pointy ears, and none of them are fat. You know what I mean? Like it's like you're reading a book about human, a human being's idea of a species that is almost exactly like human beings, except they're a little closer to nature and they have pointed ears and none of them are fat and a lot of them are blonde. It's like how is that really a new thing that doesn't exist in reality? Yeah, it doesn't exist exactly. Oh, here's this. I'm gonna I'm gonna write a book about a creature who looks like a man, but he has wings and he flies around. Well, you're, you're still just rearranging components of reality. You know, you're still like, I'm going to take this thing, oh, a bird, and I'm going to put wings on a man and create this guy who does things that a bird does, but he's still a man. It's like you're still just rearranging and reconfiguring things, and, and you're not truly creating something new. You're still taking aspects of reality and combining them. And uh, and you're reading about them. You're sitting there reading about them. You know, it's like you're never truly escaping this world, even in fiction. In the same way that you know, you can uh, be like, oh, here's a book about a guy with green skin, and it's like, but you're still using this limited set of colors. You're not actually shaking the foundations of our reality. You're just combining them, and um, you know, it's like. It's just one of those things. You can never really escape the set of tools that you have, and maybe you can if you just drop them all. Uh, maybe the only way to do that is just to let go of them all. Uh, and uh, but but even then, you know, what do you pick up from there? You know, it's it becomes this game of replacement. It becomes this game of rearrangement and replacement. It's like just because you drop the tools doesn't mean you're going to find something new to pick up after that. doesn't mean you're going to find a new tool. And, uh, you know, and I, and I hate to talk about how, like, personally, like, how I've changed. Because someone might see that and be like, you're, you haven't changed at all. You know, you've just rearranged some shit. And that that high the high that you get from rearranging shit will only last you so long before you just settle into it it's like if you have rearranged your room or you move into a new house that feeling is incredible 
Like if you move into a new place and you've set your furniture up in these places where you've decided it belongs, like, oh, that, that looks like a good place for a chair. Uh, you know, it's the same old chair and all that. And at first it feels really refreshing. It's like, wow, I'm on some sort of strange vacation in my own home. Uh, and I feel like a new person. It even happens when you clean your place. Like, it doesn't matter if you move or rearrange anything. It can just happen when you clean up, uh, when you clean your house. Uh, but, you know, before long, you settle into it again. You get used to it. Uh, and so it, it's very easy to play this superficial game of change. And uh, and so I can see why people either don't want to do it or why some people just kind of create an institution of themselves uh, and and never do change because they've found something that through some weird process works for them, even if it's not healthy. And and it does make you question, you know, what is healthy? I mean, there's obvious things that are medically healthy, that are psychologically healthy. Uh, but uh, sometimes you can look at someone who lived a very pure life on the opposite end of the spectrum. I mean, you can look at, at that drunk at the bar you can look at that guy who just you know drowns himself every night in whiskey at the bar and his voice is hoarse and he has nothing of value to say but there's almost something uh respectable about it you know there's almost something that you do uh you do you do see that guy and you're almost like that guy is pure in some way and that's why people do i idealize alcoholics it's why like hip young people go to dive bars because they, they do see that sort of drunk guy as a form of purity. I mean, there's a reason why people read Bukowski, who I don't, I don't know that he even is that. You know, I've never read Bukowski, and I've never had the interest. But people are like, oh, yeah, he's like this pure drunk poet. And it's like, was he even that? Or was he just like an artist who, uh, was he an imposter who faked it until he made it? You know, because if you do something enough, eventually it will consume you. You know, even if you start out as an imposter and you're like, I'm going to be the drunken poet. Eventually you do drink yourself to death. And at that point, were you really an imposter or were you not? But uh, it's interesting when you see these people who represent some form of purity, but from the opposite perspective, they're not the, uh, the virgin in white robes, uh, but they're, you know, in the gutter. Or they're just highlighting what goes on in the gutter. In the gutter, they're they're just uh, showing you that. They're doing something with that. Maybe not showing you that, because I, you know, I, I gotta not to use words like highlighting or or anything like that. Maybe they they are just doing something with it. You know, and when you see someone who was creative and their entire focus was, you know, the darkness of of this world. Maybe they are just doing something with that thing that is always here. This land is mine. God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning 
sun reveals her hills and plains. I see a land where children can run free.